six-question quiz here, uh, testing your knowledge about the love of God. So um, here we go. Question one is this. True, these are all true or false questions. And you'll see it's a little, some of them are obvious. They're all obvious. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The answer is true. We know that. All right, that's the first one. Second question. God loves me unconditionally. True. All right, we know this in our head. Third question. I do not have to earn God's love by being a good person. True. Fourth question. There's six in all. Question four. Jesus bore my sin and shame on the cross. True. Fifth question. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. True. All right. I'll stop there. We've got five out of five. Question six is a bonus question. It makes all right. I experience the love of God for me constantly, so that all of my thoughts spring forth from His love. Furthermore, I always treat myself and others out of the deep love of God I feel in my heart. All my fears and anxieties are gone. And if you say true on that one, you're probably being dishonest, right? And my my point on this is. None of, us, none of us question, all of us can give the right answers about the love of God in terms of, yes, I know he loves me no matter what, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the question that most of us struggle with. I experience the love of God all the time. I treat my wife and my kids out of the deep well of the love of God in me. When I fail or when I have uh, something goes wrong, the love, of, the love of God so consumes me that I respond in a way that's joyful and peaceful. None of us would answer true to this one if we're honest. And, and maybe that's the issue, and that's the issue we're going to look at today, of how do we become the kind of people who understand and experience God's love in our life. Because again... Um, the Christian life is not a multiple choice or a true-false test to be passed. Pharisees thought it was, but it's not, because it, it doesn't help us live life, all right? I've, done a, I've been doing a series called Do You Want to Be Healed? Encountering Love of Jesus, all from the basis verse is Luke chapter 4, which is on the slide now. Uh, this, the next one, the next path, the next slide, yeah. So this, wait a minute, do I not have the one that says... Does not, do I not have Luke chapter 4? Spirit of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. So this is the mission of Jesus according to Jesus. We're going to read this. We read it every week when we do this because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to heal our hearts, not just uh, get us into heaven after we die. So join me in reading the mission of Jesus according to Jesus. All right, here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's what Jesus said he came to do. So really, if you summarize that or if I paraphrase that, it would be Jesus came to heal our hearts and to set us free. So it's about freedom. It's about healing and freedom. Yes, it's about heaven after we die, but primarily his biggest mission was healing our hearts setting us free so we would be the kind of citizens in heaven someday, but also on this earth. All right? So today I'm gonna, we're going to look at uh, the story of the prodigal son. Um, so you have a little, you all have a little thing on your, on the seats there. It's a painting of the return of the prodigal son from Rembrandt. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to have this on the screen, not now, but in a second. So one of the things w- most of us 
I'm guessing, all at least know the general narrative of the, of the prodigal son story. But I think a lot of times we forget or we need to be reminded of why Jesus told this story, what was going on. Because he didn't just tell it out of the blue. Like so many other things, he told it into res- in response to something that was happening, usually sometimes in response to tension he was getting from the Pharisees. All right? So Luke chapter 15 starts with this. It's on the screen here. All right? So it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. This is on your cards, actually. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Um, other passages in the Gospels where the Pharisees are complaining about Jesus' association. Some translations even translate it this way. Why is your teacher eating with such scum? Because the word for notorious sinners is kind of, it's almost that English vernacular today of, why is he, why is he spending time with these scum? These, these sinners. So, because they, the Pharisees... I'm putting the Pharisees over here. Their perception of God is, in order to get God's love, you need to make sure you're, you live your life right. God does not love. God does not hang out with anybody who sins like those people do. So Jesus is telling this. So feel the tension of the moment. They're, they just said to his disciples, why does he eat with them? Why does he spend time with those people? Of course, Jesus is there. He hears it. But there's tension in the moment. And then Scripture tells us this, uh, so Jesus told them this story. He tells them three stories. We're going to look at just one. But you'll see the first story he tells them is, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? All right, that's the first story. You know, some of you, most of us know that story. Second story, he says, oh, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. And both those two first stories are about the intense, passionate search God has for anybody that's lost. But then he tells in this last story, uh, which is, we know is the story of the prodigal son, but it's the, verse, verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And I'm going to read this story that he told them. And you, it's not printed out for you. It's not going to be on the screen. I simply want you to kind of see the moment, all right? So um, what's the next slide? Is it, a, is it the picture? Yeah. I'm going to put that up there now, just the painting. Um, this is called the return of the prodigal son. But I want you to, uh, there's a term I've used before. Uh, St. Ignatius from centuries ago used to encourage people to read yourself into the text, especially of the gospel narratives. So I want all of you, myself included, let's be the younger son. Kind of put yourself in his body uh, Think what he's thinking, feel what he's feeling. And I'll stop a few moments in this story and ask that question, all right? So to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. And the them, again, is the Pharisees who are upset that he's spending time with notorious sinners. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Equivalent is basically saying to his parents, I wish you were dead. It was very dishonoring. It's, 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 even today, that would be very dishonoring 
to tell your parents, hey, can I have your, my inheritance now? But especially so in those days, it was seen as incredibly dishonoring. As the younger son, he was due one-third of the total estate. The older son got two-thirds. But still, he basically said, so right away, again, the Pharisees over here are thinking, wow, this younger son is already a scoundrel. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And wild living then was his wild living now. We see later there was parties and prostitutes and all kinds of things. So again, you're seeing the Pharisees really get agitated because now Jesus is talking about a real... Uh, totally unclean person. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. All right, throwing the pigs in there is even worse for a Jew because Jews don't do pigs. So Jesus has painted this person as the most awful, dirty, unworthy sinner, right? The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And the next line simply says this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself. So I might actually ask for somewhat of of audience response here, congregation response. You're him. You've gone through this. You asked your dad for the money. You've blown it all on some what? And now you're at the lowest of the low. Give me, a, give me a word or two. What's he feeling? What would you be feeling? Or what do, have you felt when you've been at a low time where you felt like, I'm really messing up my life? What's a word? What? Shame. Is that whatever you said? I mean, let's put shame in like 48-point font, right? Shame. Failure. Probably feels incredibly unworthy. But let's just, what's that? Guilty. What's that? Filthy, guilty, filthy, shame. I've held those things at times. Please, if you're honest, I think we have. I know I have. I've I've held those things at times. Desperate. Desperate. Maybe like nowhere else. Was it hopeless? Um, I'm not going to repeat the stories, but I've told you before about times when I was in seminary and I had to struggle with pornography. Time when I was in seminary when I cheated on an Old Testament assignment. All those feelings were exactly what I felt. Filthy, shame, desperate, hopeless. Like thoughts about home. Just like you in those situations have thoughts about God. It's like, what, what would God want to do with me right now? Because you almost feel like I, I... So the thought of even going back home must have been a distant thought, but he probably wiped it out really quick. I can't do that. But when he finally came to his senses, that moment, he says to himself... At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. So he's rehearsing this in his head while he's sitting in the pigsty. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I imagine him kind of rehearsing that. He's sitting in the pigsty. What should I say? Okay, I need to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. No worthy of being He probably rehearsed what he was going to say. Because he knew I got to say the right thing. Because I just want, I just want a place to sleep. I'm not going to be back in the house anymore. I won't call myself a son because I'm sure my father won't want me. 
So verse 20 of chapter 15. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Which gives some kind of impression the father may have been looking. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Okay, now at that moment, now you're that son or that child who maybe if just a few days before was at your lowest point of shame, filth, hopelessness, and desperate. Your father ran to you, wrapped his arms around you, and he hugged you, kissed him, probably smelled pretty bad, all right? Now you're that son. Now what are you feeling? Anybody? What's that? Relief? What else would you feel? Shock? Like, why is he, this is not what he expected at all. And, of course, Jesus is saying this because he's saying this is what God is like. That's the whole point of these parables, or these stories to the Pharisees. You think God is this way? No, this is what God is like. And the, 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 the again, I want to sit back on the, on the feeling of the son now as he's being embraced by his father when he was rehearsing all this line that he thought, I got to say all these things to get back in, at least to get some food and sleep with the servants. But his father not only hugs him and kisses him, and the, fa- the son actually gets out, Father, I've sinned in both heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, he's practically, he finally gets his line out, doesn't finish all that he said. I'm guessing the father might have just said, no, no, stop. And then the father says to the servants, no, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the party began. So again, you're the son. Your father's run down the road, hugged you, kissed you, wrapped his arms around you. He's out, now he's throwing a party for you, and there's just like joy. And this son had to feel, as we often might feel with, when God loves us in, in those times of our lives, he had to feel some degree of shock and disorientation because it's not what he expected. So one of my favorite, uh, I'll say up front, I did not read this whole book, all right? It's, called, it's uh, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Um, Victor Hugo writes a lot of extra stuff. He doesn't need to write in a book, but that's, that's just what I... I mean, there's a, a, there's a, 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 a small version where they cut out a lot of his little rants, and it's smaller. But anyway, so, but one of my favorite... I, I did read at least to page 115. I, I'll promise you that because I have markings. I think I stopped there because I'm, I'm worn out. But this is one of my favorite parts of a book. Because if you don't know the story, let me just tell you, because I'm I'm going back on this feeling of shock that this child, son must have had when he had, when God loved him the way he did. So uh, Jean Valjean was a, he was a criminal, but his crime was stealing stealing a loaf of bread because his family was hungry. But in whatever reason, he was put in prison for that. He tried to escape. So then he was like almost in prison for life. He was, he hated, uh, 
He hated what would happen to him. He hated God because of what had happened to him. He was like uh, just a bitter, bitter man. Finally released. But he's, when he's released, he gets like this, what's called, they called a yellow card, which meant it was like having a driver's license that had a big, big, big stamp on it that said ex-con. So everywhere he went, he had to show them that so everybody knew he was an ex-con. And in those days, and in the context of the culture of the story in France then, that meant, meant he could probably not get anything, no job, no place to stay, because nobody wanted to house an ex-con. So he actually knocks on the door of a, of a Catholic priest's house. It was the bishop of a town named Digny, the, the bishop of Digny. And the bishop is like incredibly welcoming, and he shows him his card. No, no, you can stay here. He invites him into his house, feeds him a good meal, and the whole thing me this way. I feel that Jean Valjean is feeling a little disoriented because why is this person treating me this way? Because I'm a convict. And I know how convicts get treated. And he'd have been so hardened about that. So goes to bed that night in the bishop's home. And in response to the bishop's generosity and compassion, Jean Valjean actually leaves in the middle of the night and steals silver candlesticks. No, he steals silverware from the bishop. So he's such a hardened, bitter man. He didn't care the generosity, but he steals this stuff. I mean, and runs away. Actually, if you watch any one of the movies, actually, the priest wakes up in the middle of the night and he actually knocks the priest out because the priest catches him. He runs away. Um, he gets caught by the French policeman. They bring him back to the bishop's house. So now, now this guy is not just bitter and hardened. Now he's realized, now I'm going to prison to stay. Forever, because now I'm doubly, you know, doubly damned. But he goes back there, and I'll, I'll read from the book here in a second. He goes back, and, and the French police say, we brought him back. He has your things. And then, then, then the, the policeman laughs, and he says, he said you gave him this. It's a whole pile of silverware. He said you gave him this. And, and the priest says, yes. Yes, I did. But John Valjean, you forgot to get the candlesticks. I mean, the priest knows Jean Valjean stole the silver. He said, no, you forgot to get the candlesticks. I need to give you the candlesticks. And if you watch the movie version where uh, Liam Neeson is Jean Valjean, the expression on his face is kind of, it, it's the shock of the prodigal son. And this is, I'll read, this is where I'll read the book. Jean Valjean's eyes had widened. He was now staring at the old priest with an expression that no words could convey. So the sergeant says, do I understand this man was telling the truth? We saw him and he seemed to be on the run, so we thought we were make sure we found the silver in his knapsack. He said, yes, I gave this him, him. So we can let him go? And the priest says, certainly. So they released Don Valjean. And then they, 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 he, the author, uh, Victor Hugo, writes about Valjean. He says, he stayed motionless as though he were on the verge of collapse. In other words, he's feeling so disoriented at the grace this priest treated treat him with. And then says, and then, then, they, then they talk about Jean Valjean running away when he finally left. And the priest gives him this stuff, all this stuff. He's disoriented because nobody's ever been this generous and graceful to him before. And then it says, Jean Valjean left the town as though he were still on the run. 
He plunged into the countryside, blindly following lanes and footpaths and not realizing he was going in circles. He was so disoriented. Thus, he spent the morning without eating or feeling any sense of hunger. He was overwhelmed by a new and strange sensation, a kind of anger. He felt uplifted. He felt humiliated. He felt a strange tenderness. He was exhausted. He actually wished himself back in prison. And then it says he was just distraught. Because he had, no, he had no category, like, how do I respond to somebody that treats me with that kind of generosity and that kind of grace? Because he knew he was doomed to spend life in prison, and the priest, the bishop, the Bishop of Digny, and I actually I read this section, I remember thinking to myself, the Bishop of Digny is my hero. I mean, it's a, it's a fictitious character, but I thought he... And, and, but Valjean is so disoriented. So I can imagine the, the prodigal son feeling that way, feeling incredibly disoriented at this point because he experienced the love of God, the love of his father, in a way that made no sense to him. So like I said, we all, we all got the first five true-false questions correct, and we all got 100% on that. The sixth question is the experience question and the fully understanding the love of God. And this prodigal started to understand that, but it starts with this disorientation of how God treats us in our darkest moments. And again, I've told you some stories in my life from that, whether it was cheating or pornography, when I was treated in a way through human beings, but through God, that totally didn't, I didn't deserve. And it made me understand some things about the love of God in my life that I hadn't, hadn't understood before. And then, so here's, here's a quote I'll throw at you, and then we're going to have... This is from a, a book by a guy named Henry Nowen, Catholic priest. Uh, he passed away, I don't know, 15 years ago. He was Dutch. Um, but he wrote about... He had a book called... He, had wrote, he wrote a book, an entire book, when he was sit by his reflection on this painting because he was so consumed with the love of the Father in this painting. But this is what he said, and I, I, when I read this, I thought this is, this is exactly what I think a lot of us can feel. He said, here is the God that I want to believe in. All right. A father who from the beginning of creation has stretched out his arms in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on anyone and always waiting. So he said, this is the God I can believe in. One who stretched his arms out in merciful blessing, never forcing himself on anyone, but always waiting never letting his arms drop in despair. So he's not like, you know, never letting his arms drop in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders. His only desire is to bless. So I'm just going to, this, this is the posture when I think about the prodigal son father, when I think about God and what now and even says, this is the posture of God. His arms are always open. We think, but you have to know what I thought before. When I mess up, the posture of God is this. What do you have to say for yourself? You, you, need to, you need to kind of earn your way back. You really messed up this time. Or, or at least maybe standing back a little bit, kind of like, can you tell me what's going on? I mean, this posture of God, when Nowen said, this is the posture of God all the time. He never forces himself on anybody. Though. He doesn't force his love on other people. But any time we choose to return to him, he's always this way. His arms are always open, always open, always open. And 
We can get that right on a test. Yeah, God always loves me. But again, most of us, when we, I'll speak for myself, when I've done things, when I've done things and I know dishonored God and made me feel shame, desperate, dirty, all those things, I often think God at least is this, if not a little bit standoffish, and he might shake my hand. But this is not the God, the Pharisees were offended that God would treat a dirty, pig-stinking sinner this way. So the, and a phrase, I wrote this in my notes. One of the phrases I wrote in my notes is what Jesus is trying to get across is the mercy and compassion of God is enormous. Um, so there's nothing you have done ever that puts you outside of the reach of God's love. Nothing. There's nothing you're doing right now this time of your life that you might be ashamed of if somebody knew everything you were doing or thinking. Nothing puts you outside of the love of God. Nothing. And what's interesting, too, in this story, uh, I'll, I'll just paraphrase the rest of it, because the, the, the older brother, go to back to the picture for a second, and you'll see in the picture, on the far right, you've got your own picture, the far right is the older brother. The older brother was the Pharisee. Because he even gets mad. He's like, well, why are you throwing a party for him? And the father, it says the father, this is in Luke 15, later in the chapter, goes to the older brother and he begs him. So you have this open arm, but you also have the God who's begging the Pharisee. And there's times where we've all been the Pharisee with judgment, judgmental of people. But he's still the, he begs the older brother, come on into the party. So this father is like he's this way toward the sinners, and he, to hard-hearted times when we're legal, this guy's begging us to say, no, we're going to show mercy. So this is whole, the whole posture of God. And my closing word for the day is simply this. Uh, his arms are open. Um, they're always going to be open to you. That's what Nowen says. And when you think about the father running down the path to hug his son, his arms are open. His arms are open. His arms are not closed. He's not doing this. He's not merely giving you a polite handshake. So whatever you have done, whatever you think about yourself, the self-condemning thoughts you might have, um, that's not God. That's not God. Pharisees thought that was God. You've got to earn your way up the ladder to God by doing this right, that right, this right, that right. It's kind of like chutes and ladders. When you make a mistake, you slide back, you know, down to the bottom of the board. And that's, chutes and ladders might be a good way to describe sometimes how we feel about our spiritual life. Oh, I thought I was there, and now I'm back here. But no, God's always, arms are always open. So the question of the whole ser- no, sermon is, do you want to be healed? And... Again, I don't know what's going on in any of your lives in terms of the things that you might be uh, ashamed about or embarrassed about. And I don't know what the times in your life you feel like you're the Pharisee where you're, you're not showing mercy that God wants to show. Either way, when the Father comes to you, his arms are open. He's either begging you or he's coming to hug you. Um, so at least... Um, this sounds odd to say it this way. Give God a chance. And don't destroy the image in your head of God being this toward you.
or God kind of having a firm face toward you. Destroy that image in your head. His arms are open. And again, this story when he was done, the Pharisees were furious. But the sinners and the tax collectors and the scum, they were elated. Because God actually loves us. And so God loves you. He loves every one of us um, in ways we don't, we, we know in our head. But my prayer this morning is going to be that we, uh, God captures our hearts. And maybe there's an ex- experience that God wants you to have um, with him so your, your body follows your head. Your head knows what's true, but something in you doesn't. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion. So, Jesus, I pray for um, each person here today, and I'm, and I'm of the uh, clear conviction that everybody here today uh, was here because you want us all to hear this. Each person here, in some form, including me, needed to hear this today. God, who um, makes us earn our way back into the house. You're not a God who makes us earn our way back to get the car keys. Um, You're a merciful, compassionate God. And I pray for each one of us this morning that um, you would show us that. Show us that image of the Father in our lives. And uh, destroy all the false images of you as a resentful, angry God toward us. Uh, We love you and we ask on your name. Amen.